This audio production is brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. So hello, everybody. Lynn Foley here, and I want to welcome you to an exclusive interview with David Wolf and Daniel Vitalis. This program is called Setting the Record Straight, Dispelling the Myths, Fabrications, and Outright Lies about chocolate, raw water, and everything else about healing and vitality that you're not being told. For those of you who are new to the program, let me introduce my two illustrious guests. David Wolf, with a master's degree in nutrition and background in science and mechanical engineering, David Wolf is considered one of the world's top authorities on natural health, beauty, nutrition, herbalism, chocolate, and organic superfoods, leading the field with his vision, mission, education, and business. Dave has had over 15 years of dedicated experience and understanding of the inner workings, the delicate chemistry, and hardcore mechanics of the human body, and how the body is affected by the modern-day stresses of today's fast-paced, overworked, and underbalanced lifestyle, which literally is a killer to our beauty, health, and longevity. Daniel Vitalis is a leading health, nutrition, and personal development strategist, as well as a nature-based philosopher in seeking answers to the health challenges of modern humanity. Daniel deeply immersed himself in the natural medicine, nutritional practices, and lifestyle pursuits that supported our ancestors in, in many generations of robust health, powerful immunity, and intentional longevity. This quest has led to a unique, non-dogmatic approach to invincible health and personal development that he calls shamanic nutrition, a strategy based on timeless understanding of the elements of earth, water, air, and fire. He has developed exciting and simple possibilities for incorporating these practices into our modern lives with profound results. Daniel, David, welcome to the show today. It's great to have you both. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We're, we're excited. I'd like to begin this program by asking you both a question. And David, I'd like to start with you. What is the single most ridiculous thing that is being said right now about some of the latest advances in superfood nutrition? It's got to be this whole chocolate bashing nonsense that's going on out there. I mean, this is like basically there are people out there who bash everything that I promote in order to direct media attention to themselves. It's a, it's a marketing ploy actually. And it has nothing to do with anything scientific. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody's health. It has to do with, Hey, look at me too. Look at me. I'm over here. It's that kind of stuff. And it's filled with a bunch of hyperbole, which is just, you know, random statements made totally without any validation whatsoever. Um, there are documents circular around the Internet that contain misspelled words, have no scientific peer-reviewed research behind them, and are literally at the level of being absurd in their, in their silliness. And, and this kind of thing is just – it's gotten to the point of being – I can hardly even address it anymore. People come to me and they say, I, re- I read this thing on the Internet. It, it said that cacao is bad for me. And I say, okay, well, do you have it? Yeah, yeah, here it is. Okay, where's the, where's the references? There isn't any. Um, we, you know, the names are all misspelled. Um, the words are misspelled. And it's like anybody in the world can just put out any kind of silly little document and throw it around the Internet bashing anything and say, hey, look at me. 
the media has known for years, since the beginning of media, that negative news attracts people's attention. And, and I've noted this with like YouTube descriptions of videos that I put out there. If I put out something like warning about whatever, boom, it gets 10 times more hits than if I don't. Because that's the way that the Western mind has been trained to react. It's a fear-based culture. And when somebody starts marketing with fear, you know, like, don't do this, it's bad, warning, beware, you know, that kind of stuff, then it causes people's attention to be focused there. Ultimately, though, when it comes to chocolate, there's nothing underneath it. It's just a big, empty, you know, marketing kind of like, take a look at me, check out what I have to say, um, strategy that's being produced by people who have no research experience whatsoever. In fact, I know for sure that cacao causes irrational behavior in people who don't eat it. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the things that we're hearing, too, for the most part, it's anecdotal. It's people's experience. They ate uh, maybe too much cacao, and they got some indigestion, and they make basically a bold statement saying that, well, it's bad for everybody. Nobody should eat cacao. First of all, wh- why would anybody say such a thing, and what do you believe is wrong about statements like that? Well, there's a tremendous amount of hyperbole or just random statements floating around the Internet. I did this. It did this to me. There's a lot of There's a lot of free information out there that we shouldn't be listening to. I mean, we should all be aware of any information that's out there just for free. Um, there's another thing out there, you know, uh, by the way, my friend Joe Polish says this way, he says, nothing, nothing will cost you more than bad information. Nothing. That's the most, that, that's the most detrimental thing out there, bad information. And then we've got really junky cacao products out there, like put out by Navitas Naturals, for example, that were like dirty for years. Now they're trying to clean up their act and say, actually, we're in integrity and this kind of stuff. Their stuff was loaded with microbes and dirt and garbage for years, and they were selling it to people. People would eat it and get sick, and then they'd blame me. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with that product quality. We'd have just as bad a product quality if somebody ate dirty almonds or just about a reaction if somebody ate dirty almonds or dirty walnuts or anything similar, which people do all the time. Generally, also, as well, as the biggest health problem in the Western world is not a physical problem. It's neurological. It's psychological. There is a massive amount of hypochondria out there. There's a massive amount of neurosis and neurotic behavior out there. And when you plug that into this field, which is like the cutting edge of food and nutrition, there, there's a lot of very intense, um, almost like dogmatic behavior surrounding food and in all directions. And, and that's something we want to be aware of. And when it comes to chocolate, it seems to be at the very pinnacle of this whole controversy about food in general. The debate on chocolate hinges around where the science stands. Certainly, there are historical uses of chocolate that date back to the beginning of time. The science in the field of cacao, chocolate, and the research behind it, numbering hundreds of studies at this point, indicate that chocolate is not only safe, but it is the highest natural source of magnesium known in the common food realm, is the highest natural source of chromium of any food that is common in usage. It is the highest natural source of iron of any plant. And it is also one of the richest sources of phosphorus useful for bone density of any plant and, in fact, of any food. Now, these 
in, in these indicators are pointing to very interesting litany of information about chocolate, and that is it is extremely nutritious. It's the number one antioxidant of any common food. It contains more antioxidant pigments than any common food contains. It's also very important for longevity, apparently, for heart health, and for bone density, according to the research. Now, I've taken those studies, numbering at this point it's over 100, and I've put them up on sacredchocolate.com, on that website, and you will see all the studies and research that we've been collating in relationship to chocolate and longevity, chocolate and heart health, chocolate and antioxidants, chocolate and the health of one's teeth. We know now, by the way, that also raw chocolate or cacao is the number one food for your teeth in terms of theobromine's ability to kill the organisms that cause cavities and the interior effect of once that chocolate gets into you, how it nourishes your bones. I do want to mention Jean Calment, who was the longest-lived woman in the Western world of recent times, and she lived to be 122 years old. She ate over two pounds of chocolate a week every week of her life, and this is indicating that there's strong cooperation coming from the actual data, meaning her actual lifespan, and the data that's coming in from science that's stating a number of things. One of them is chocolate increases your heart's resilience. It decreases atherosclerosis. It increases longevity due to MAOI types of actions or neurotransmitter modulating actions, etc., now, I took this to my detractors and said, okay, where's your research? They, they came up with nothing. They've presented no research at all. And I'm talking about the people who have been bashing cacao and chocolate in a way that's obviously um, a lot of hyperbole and opinion. Going beyond that, I eventually landed into a conversation with Dr. Gabriel Cousins where we went on PubMed and we pulled up all the data that indicates there can be problems with chocolate, which is indicating actually those four studies that we pulled up and all of PubMed, that it's actually theobromine, which can be irritating to some certain types of metabolisms. If you de-theobrominate chocolate, you remove all toxic, quote-unquote, side effects that have ever been reported in animals, which is it. Now, in humans, the human body has the ability to deactivate theobromine in four to six hours. The amount of theobromine that you would need to eat in terms of quantities of chocolate per day in order to lead to, for example, birth defects or serious neurological problems or, or toxicosis, liver troubles, etc., we were able to calculate based on those four studies as being one pound of chocolate per day. Now, that's, un that's unreasonable and it's irrational. And that's the kind of thing that we could see with any food on a bell curve that there's a certain amount, which is probably equivalent to about 8 to 16 cacao beans a day, which would fall into a nice bell curve. And if you have more than that, then it's going to actually start detracting. And if you have extraordinary amounts, like a pound a day, then that can actually be hurtful to you, just as we see with every other food, including water. Daniel, I'd love to hear your opinion about this matter also, because I know you're a big chocolate fan. I've eaten and drank many of your uh, concoctions in the past that are amazing. What do, you, what do you think about what's going on right now with a lot of this underswell of negativity around this amazing food? There's an interesting behavior amongst homo sapiens, and that's, you know, we're a social animal. So once we get together in groups of about 10, what happens is we um, naturally will split into two fractions or two factions. 
and those factions will take up opposite um, banners and will kind of battle against each other. And so we see that with like a bipartisan kind of um, political system here in the United States as a macro example of that. And within our health community, the same thing's happening. So we've sort of gotten polarized. And I think people like David, people like myself, for years have been extremely open-minded so that we're always open to new information and we're very willing to let new information, if it's accurate data, change how we are perceiving things or we're willing to add new information into the mosaic of um, worldview that we're teaching from. And unfortunately, there's always going to be this one half of the, of the equation. It's going to be people who are going to have a more dogmatic religious view. And in the health food community, we have that. And it's most strongly rooted in something called natural hygiene. And natural hygiene is sort of a nutritionist religion that comes from the early 1900s and even into the 1800s. And it's a view that everything is toxic, everything is dirty, and that all illnesses and all issues in humanity are rooted in toxicity, and that there's really only one disease, which is called, they call toxemia, and they see everything from the natural world as toxic. And in fact, the only things they believe in eating seem to be these extremely hybridized um, plant foods that have had the medicines and bitter portions of them bred out. So when they see a food like cacao that's still in its primal form and still contains its alkaloids and its neurotransmitters and molecules that are somewhat psychoactive or molecules that um, stimulate, say, the heart like theobromine, they see that as a toxin. They kind of use the word toxin as a blanket uh, term, kind of like the way Smurfs use the word Smurf in the old TV show. It's just sort of a meaningless word. They describe everything as toxins. And if you ever say, hey, what toxins are you talking about? They often don't really have an answer because they don't know. They're just using the word as a, as a blanket term. So you bring, you bring them a food like cacao and you show them the phytochemistry. Um, you show them things like anandamide or theobromine. They just reject it immediately and say, well, that's toxic. And it's not based on um, any rational information. It's not based on, like David mentioned, scientific peer-reviewed studies. It's based um, on a religion. And, since, and just like with any religion that's dogmatic, um, how do you dis the burden? Where's the burden of proof lie? So you can share the information with them, and they'll say, "Well, that's conspiracy. That information's wrong." And so it's really challenging. What I always like to do is go back in history and find, especially with plant foods, we can look at a science called ethnobotany, and that's where you look at what's the historic use amongst people of a food. And when you look at cacao, it has a very ancient ethnobotany. There's there's a tremendous amount of history. Um, in Mesoamerica of its use and of its sacredness. And I think that we can look at that as a starting point. If we didn't see that, then we might have a problem because there are foods today people are using that have no ethnobotanical use. And that doesn't mean they don't have a use. It just means we should, we should walk cautiously as we begin to incorporate them into our lives. But with a food like cacao with thousands of years of recorded history and with so much sacredness and lore surrounding it, we know that it's safe because people have been using it for so long. If it wasn't safe, it would have been weeded out of the human diet a long time ago. That's why we don't eat a lot of poisonous foods today. Unfortunately, it extends far beyond cacao. I mean, the same group of people who are saying cacao is toxic will tell you that salt is toxic will tell you that garlic is toxic, will tell you that onions are toxic, will tell you that any natural herb is toxic, and all of them are, are just poisons. I think that they have a small sliver of accurate information, but they've blown it well out of proportion. It doesn't really make sense, and really when you look at it, what they're trying to do is, as David mentioned, they're 
using controversy and sensationalism to polarize the movement, hoping that they can siphon that half of that sector of what they perceive as the marketplace, um, if they can sequester those eyes onto their websites or onto their documents or onto their books and try to build a marketplace for themselves um, based on misinformation that they often don't know is misinformation. I mean, often they just believe what they're sharing is true. Um, I think it's always really wise to take a good look at the people who are promoting that information because um, a lot of them, all you have to do is really take in their their appearance and their health and the the form of their communication to determine whether they are healthy and intelligent human beings or whether they're maybe unhealthy and somewhat neurotic. I think that is an excellent observation. And I think also there's something that about the health industry that most people don't realize. There are two types of thinkers in any industry, but in particular the health industry, you have your pioneers and you have your synthesizers. So your pioneers are the, the people who are really out there really forging new pathways, sometimes going back into antiquity and finding things that have already been done. But in our culture, in our mindset, they're not things we're familiar with. So I would say that Daniel and, and, and David, you both absolutely pioneers. You're introducing things to our world that no one would ever know had you guys not come around and told us about it. Then you have people like myself who are synthesizers. I don't come up with anything new. I just take stuff that you guys teach me, and I put it together in a way that's easy to use, you know, and it's fun. And, you know, it, it, I basically have, I prepackage stuff that's already kind of been put out there. I really, I really strongly suggest that we look at a lot of the people who are out there with a lot of the big megaphones criticizing things that I believe they don't have much understanding about because I think they're the synthesizers. They are not pioneers. They're getting on a bandwagon. And the, what's the easiest bandwagon to get on? It's a bandwagon of negativity. And it's, a, it's easier to, cri to criticize somebody than it is to create something new. And so I applaud both of you for being pioneers. And I also feel the pain that you experience because I understand in taking that role, you're going to have the majority of people who are the synthesizers, people like myself, who are going to want to throw stones before really understanding the history, the science, you know, the, the significance of what it is that you're sharing. So that being said, I think what you guys both addressed about chocolate was really important. How about this controversy around raw water or about water itself? We're hearing all this stuff about water. What's the best water to drink? Some people say tap water is fine. Some people say bottled water is horrible. You should never drink bottled water. Glass is better than plastic. Plastic is fine if you, you know, have it shipped from a certain place or not from someplace else. Tell us, what's the real deal on water? Let me just say that I want to first give credit to David, who really got me turned on to water. Before we met him, I was really, really stretching myself to try to understand, based on the, that Western paradigm I had been trained in, I was really struggling to understand what was the good water to choose, because there are people who promote distilled water, people promoting bottled water, RO water, spring water, tap water. I mean, people are promoting every kind of water. And I was really just, I was confused by the whole thing. When I asked David what was the best water filter, this is probably eight, nine years ago now, asked him what the best filter was, and he said to me, you know, Daniel, you're on the wrong quest here. You don't want to be looking at filters at all. Start looking at spring water. And that kind of led me on a quest studying spring water. And I've studied it from every angle that I've been able to, including that peer-reviewed scientific angle. 
And what I really came up with was that the best water for human beings is water that comes from deep aquifers naturally of its own volition to the source of a spring. And that's been, I mean, again, if we're going to look at the history of human beings, that's been understood uh, since as deeply back in history as we could look. That's been understood. Um, Raw water is is two things. Raw water is a term to describe water that hasn't been processed, in other words, unprocessed water, kind of like we talk about unprocessed food. We could talk about water that's not been processed, but it's also the name of a product that I brought to the marketplace. And that product has a very interesting story behind it. And when I brought that product out, most people really rejoiced about it because it's a product that could really change the way the world looks at water, especially how the water industry behaves. However, there was, again, that fraction of the community that um, really lashed out and actually tried to use that sensationalism they'd created to sell products, um, basically to sell information products about reverse osmosis water. So let me describe, describe what raw water is. Raw water, what I found out studying water was that even water, if we go to the store and we buy a bottle of water, um, say Poland Spring as an example, or we buy a bottle of Fiji water, it's easy to think that water is just put into a bottle and shipped to you, but that's not the case. That water is put through a filter, usually called a submicron filter. It's put through an ozone gas treatment, and it's processed through ultraviolet light at least. These are the things recommended by the International um, Bottled Waters Association. So water is processed with killing technologies. Now, most people don't think of water as a living thing because we think of it as H2O molecules. However, H2O molecules are more like the matrix or the canvas that, wa that underlies water. Natural water on the planet has living organisms in it, particularly algaes. That might sound strange to people, but you know, in our health community, we consume a lot of algaes. For instance, chlorella or spirulina or the blue-green algaes, the phycocyanins, because we know they're very healthy for us. Well, natural water like spring water contains small amounts of these natural organisms. Now the thing is, is that water plus warmth and air will produce life forms. If they're present, they will grow. And so since water out of springs contains a little bit of algae, if you leave your bottle of water out in the sun, it's going to turn green eventually. The organisms in there will proliferate and they'll come to life. And so in order to keep the water shelf stable, to give it shelf life, Rather than put a preservative in it, what they do is process it. They put it through submicron filtration, ozone to try to kill off any microbes, and then ultraviolet light, which distorts the DNA codes of the organisms present so they can't reproduce. So what happens when you drink a bottle of Fiji water, and, and it may have started out a fairly good water, what happens is you end up drinking organisms with deranged DNA, and that water's also been changed at the chemical level through the filtration process and through the oxidation process. So learning that and realizing that natural living spring water was very important to us, and also learning that spring water is not a regulated term. What happened was many of the big spring water companies lobbied to have laws changed, to actually change the definition of a spring so that they could drill large boreholes in the vicinity of a spring and then siphon water out of aquifers and call that well water spring water. Now, when I found that out, I thought, I want to change this. And so I connected with a spring in Maine called Summit Spring, 
And together, we brought to the marketplace a water that's completely untreated. Now, in order to do that, we had to get very special permission from the state of Maine. And Maine basically allowed us, and we're the only company we know of, we were allowed to bring a water to the marketplace completely untreated. Now, behind the scenes, and what the consumer never sees, is there's a large um, cartel of water dealers. And they're very, very upset by this um, progress that we've made. We have actually been given legal permission. In other words, we're protected by the state. The state is backing us up to bring this water to the marketplace. And these companies don't like that because that means it's going to bring attention to the way they're processing water. It's been done kind of secretly. People didn't really know. People weren't aware. And so we thought this product would be an excellent way to go into the marketplace and actually use commerce to change the way business is being done around water. Um, We're really excited about that. But I was really attacked on the Internet by, again, that same segment of the marketplace that we'll call the natural hygiene world. They really attacked us and said a lot of really terrible things, I think, without really understanding what they were talking about. There's a video in mind. I don't think I need to mention the name of the person who put it up. But his video started with him drinking water off his tap out of his reverse osmosis filter and saying that reverse osmosis water was as healthy as spring water. And I think they're very wrong, and there's a lot of science to show that. Daniel, thank you very much for addressing that. And I just want to make this known as well. I am I'm basically going to put this out there to anybody who's listening who disbelieves anything that's being said here. I welcome anybody into this particular program to debate either Daniel or David, and I'll be happy to moderate. And you can say and state your case in as an objective, passionate way that you'd like to. Um, but we, you know, if there's somebody out there who would like to actually challenge anybody that's you know, on this call right now, you are free to. We are not just the last word on this. We're open to discussion on this because the only way that any of these, you know, discrepancies in understanding are going to be really solved, it's when we have some real good debate, not one-sided debate where one person is talking the whole time, but good discussion. So I, I don't know if you guys would be open for that. I, I think it would be fantastic, but I have a feeling no one's going to want to show up because they're well, going to appear before anyone. But- before anyone really steps up to the mic on this one, because, you know, I'd been, I had offered a public debate before, and I talk a lot about the structure of water, and I talk a lot about the living matrix of water. And some of the things that I like to talk about are opinions that I've generated based on all the research I've seen. However, when it comes down to some of the real basic facts about, say, reverse osmosis distilled or desalinated water or even deionized water compared against spring water, there really is no debate. So if somebody wants to debate and their argument is, well, reverse osmosis water has less particles per million, therefore it's, um, it's cleaner, listen, this is an age-old debate, and it's basically been answered. I want to invite anybody who really wants to see the science to go to the World Health Organization's website. You can go to www.who.int forward slash water and look at their um, – their studies, now this is the World Health Organization, I'd encourage you to go look at a study there called Health Risks from Drinking Demineralized Water. Now, here's the thing. When waters come to the surface as springs, they have a differing amount depending on the springs. There's a, a, a big, big um, variance here. But springs are never going to come up as zero parts per million, as pure distilled water. The World Health Organization says this. 
Groundwater nor surface water has ever been chemically pure H2O since water contains small amounts of gases, minerals, and organic matter of natural origin. In other words, there is no natural H2O. That's a chemical. That's a laboratory-produced chemical. Pure water was never really intended for human beings to drink. It was designed for industry. They say demineralized water is highly aggressive, and if untreated, its distribution through pipes and storage tanks would not be possible. This is because the water, when it's uh, RO or distilled, has no minerals, and it seeks to dissolve anything it can. So they go on to say the aggressive water attacks the water distribution piping and leaches metals and other materials from the pipes. So what they're saying is that this kind of water, demineralized water, whether it's RO, which is a form of mechanical distillation, or distilled water through heat, attacks pipes. Now, there's been a conversation going on for a long time. Does demineralized water strip your body of minerals? Well, the World Health Organization for sure says that it does. In fact, they say it creates an almost 20% increase in diuresis and causes you to lose sodium concentrations, uh, potassium concentrations, and other minerals from your body. They also go on to say, unbelievably, this really blew my mind, um, because for a long time I've been having this conversation with people and I didn't really know. I mean, there's not really a source any more credible in science than the World Health Organization is going to be. Now, they tell us that um, demineralized water may be a factor in hypertension, coronary heart disease, gastric and duodenal ulcers, gastritis, goiter, pregnancy complications, jaundice, fractures, anemia, growth disorders. They also say, and here's one of the things, a lot of people say, well, you can just take your distilled water, you just take your RO water and add salts to it or add minerals back to it and it's going to be fine. Here's what they say. Possibly none of the commonly used ways of remineralization could be considered optimum since the water does not contain all of its beneficial components. Current methods of stabilization, in other words, remineralizing water, are really intended to decrease the corrosive effects of that water on pipes and on bottles and things like that. So that comes from the WHO. So if somebody wants to debate, I would love to. However, please bring a stronger argument than RO water is cleaner water. That's the same as saying white sugar is cleaner than, say, carrots, beets, or sugar cane. It's just a, a pharmaceutical chemical paradigm and it's kind of a dead paradigm at this point this audio production has been brought to you by the best david wolf's premium longevity member site